Okay, we're going to be talking about race in the last ballad. Um, my my passage is on chapter, on pages twelve and thirteen. Uh, it's talking about the origin of the American Mill Number Two and the, the uh, Goldberg brothers and how they experienced both sides of racism and uh, and uh, the thing I'm mainly going to be pointing on is that uh, they are hiring both blacks and whites in their mill and uh, I believe that they they do this because they did experience uh, the burning cross that uh, many African-American families uh, have experienced uh, with racism and so they experienced that their first day but then they also experienced the uh, more suburban style where the where the pastor's wives came together and brought them food in a single file line and it kind of just you know stood out to me how uh, at night their husbands could torch a cross in their front yard while uh, the next morning they act like nothing happened and the women wouldn't even look at it. Uh, what do you guys think? Um, you bring up a really good point there. Um, I kind of think it's interesting as well that they could do these things. Um, you know, they kind of did whatever they wanted and whenever they wanted just because of your skin color or, you know, who you were or what you did. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. My thing about it is that they, they're Germans, so they're not... Their skin color is white, but they may not act white, and they're not from America. And that goes along with the stigma of the American dream and being an American white male, and that it's really prominent in that time. And so they're not black, and they're not true American whites, so they're in the middle of where they're treated more human but they're not treated as full equals with Americans. And it's just that social stigma that is so prominent during that time. Caitlin, would you like to go ahead? Sure. Okay, so my passage is on pages 54 and 56. Uh, my topic is Lily Wiggins, um, her section of the book when she's talking about how her best friend was named Iva and she was black and how she grew up in Stumptown, which had no, it was all black people. They were the only white family. So for her to be surrounded by African Americans was no big deal. But when her mother passed away and she went to the orphanage, all of the other orphans started calling her, I'm not going to say it because it's racially not okay, um, the N-word lover because her best friend was black. And, you know, that was normal to her. And one of the things that she comments is, she says, good Lord, Lucy, colored people are the only friends I ever had until you. So for her, this was all normal, which should be a common thing today. Like, it should be normal. Like, it shouldn't be a big deal for us to have black friends and white friends like it was back then. Like, it shouldn't be a problem anymore. Even though you're seeing it still today, that it still is a problem that, you know, people get treated differently, which is just, it's just wrong. So, anybody have any comments? I mean, yeah, it goes back to that social stigma that I was talking earlier about Trevor, um, that the fact that you were a friend with someone of color, that you lived and breathed with someone who had color, that made you of lesser value to other people, and it's just that 
social stigma playing again that blacks are they're bad they're not human like they're not their property and by even con conversating with them or converge or converting with them <laughs> conversing conversing there you go yeah <laughs> that you of you are of lesser value it's almost like their skin um rubs up against yours and somehow you are dirty them. yeah i mean i totally agree i mean we shouldn't we shouldn't have to have just white friends or you know it shouldn't matter anymore but it's really sad that it still does that you know you're you're still looked down upon because you associate with black people or in, in a way i think this so-called race war whatever you want to call it has gotten worse because i mean things just keep happening and I mean, the fact, I, the fact I, that Black Lives Matter has to exist now, exactly. it shouldn't have to anymore. It um, should be a thing. I mean, it needs to be a thing right now, but it shouldn't have to be anymore. Yeah. So, my topic um, was on page 123 and 124. Um, basically, it was a conversation between Bill and um, Ella. And, you know, they were kind of, he had asked um, how she came to know so many Negroes. And she made a point that she had trouble finding a job um, because she couldn't get any recommendations. And then she said, you know, that she finally got a job at American Number 2. And it was the only mill that had white and colored working together. And that was how she came to know so many Negroes. And she said, they ain't no different for me. I knew that before I worked with them, but I know it for sure now. And then she kind of, she kind of had a moment in time where she was just thinking about what he was going to reply back to her. And she was thinking um, kind of like what his thoughts were going to be on um, a white woman living among colored men her white children playing alongside colored children, breathing the same air, touching the same things, eating the same food, but Bill didn't speak. And then on page 124, he makes the point that uh, most people don't think well of Negroes like you do or like I do. And he says also that this strike is for equal rights and equal pay. So I thought this was interesting that he didn't have anything to say about her associations with colored folks. Um, and I kind of think that he didn't say anything because he, he was on the same page as she was. Um, and this also brought me to wonder um, why more things weren't said in the book about her associations with Violet, or her kids having being friends with Violet's sister, um, and I also asked the question, um, you know, what would John think about this if he was still around? My opinion on that is that he probably wouldn't like the fact that his wife was associating with white people.
Uh, yeah, um, well, one thing that you brought up about, um, her thinking that he was gonna respond, you know, like, negatively to her family being associated with blacks, um, it just kind of shows the, uh, natural judgment, judgmentive, is that a word? I don't think so, but we're gonna go We'll, we'll go with it. But the natural, <laughs> like, how people judge other people and how it's a natural thing, because even though it wasn't, like, a racial thing, um... She assumed that he was going to respond neg negatively towards her uh, because of it. And I know it's not the same, uh, like, scale that she does it, but um, it just shows how everyone, like, has their own biases and opinions of other people, no matter what their skin color is. Just, it's easy to form uh, judgments about other people and how they're going to respond to things. Uh, but as... Uh, she knows it doesn't matter about skin color because uh, it doesn't matter what you think, but it uh, they could often surprise you. But yeah, even tying in with mine, the race issue, you know, she was being, you know, made fun of in the orphanage for being friends with black people. You know, the stigma around being friends with black people back then, you know, Bill didn't respond either, either because he was on the same page or he just didn't want to respond, didn't want to start anything, didn't want to comment because he didn't know what to say without being rude so yeah yeah um so we're gonna finish off with my topic which is the last part of the book where it talks about the conversation between Hampton and Claire and Hampton it works in the um the train that Claire is traveling in and he is also of black color and so we're talking about stereotyping and uh, social stigmas around race and a quote that I have is um, from Claire, and she says, what would she think when she's referring to Donna to see Claire sitting here in the middle of the train talking to a Negro as if it were the most natural thing in the world? And this completely um, profounds me because the, it's like the fact that she is talking to a Negro, that the fact that it's a natural conversation is so taboo. It plays along to that social stigma again. And then um, she, as she's talking to Hampton, she says she felt warm and relaxed, and she was smiling, and she felt perfectly aware that something was happening, though she wasn't quite sure what it was, um, and that was on page 164 through 165, and it was like Claire breaking down that social barrier that had been set up by everything that was preconceived, and then it also, when a man sat down with her, this white detective, her walls went right back up. So it makes you wonder, who was the real monster in that scenario? Was it the one that everyone says was the monster? Or was it really the white man who was um, intruding on her in her space? And then she said her face had grown warm as if she had been caught doing something that she had not, should not have been doing. And that was on 170. And society has created such this big stigma around black people and that they're basically their property. They're nothing more than that. So the fact that she was having a conversation with this human being like a human, she felt like she was caught doing something wrong, but she was like, but I wasn't doing anything wrong. So it's just, again, that, that stigma around black people and black society. Um, what are your thoughts? Um, yeah, it definitely seems like through the conversation she got a new understanding of what it meant like with the different races. Um, she felt more comfortable uh, with 
she realized it wasn't about race, it was about the person. Like, she felt really comfortable with Hampton. And then, um, once the, once the white men came up and started talking to her, like you said, her walls went back up and she got a whole lot less comfortable. Um, so it just shows you that it's not, uh, the, the color of a person's skin, but the, uh, their character. Yeah, and she even, um, when he spoke to Hampton and was like, you know, match it because he was going to light a cigarette, even then she kind of was, you know, on edge and on tense just because of his attitude. As soon as he walked in, her whole attitude changed because, you know, it's perceived as doing something wrong, talking to, quote-unquote, the help and stuff. So even then, you know, he kind of made her put her walls up when she was having a perfectly normal, relaxed conversation that, you know, most times didn't happen, so... And that concludes our little podcast for today. Thank you for listening to us, and I hope you have a good day.